So we're, um, we're in a short series on the book of Ruth, which Hillary introduced to us last week, just looking at this little, little four chapters of basically a love story from 3,000 years ago. And I wanted to introduce it in case some of you were not here last week, some of you have not read the story before, some of you won't be Christians here today, and so you'll, you've probably never heard the story of Ruth and might not know what it was or why it mattered. But it's, it's basically a love story from 3,000 years ago, about 1100 B.C., and we're just looking at this story and trying to see what we, can, what we can get out of it, not just for the story itself, but what it shows us about the nature of God and his people and what it might mean for life today. But the story in miniature is a boy meets girl story. It goes roughly like this. There is an Israelite widow called Naomi. There's three main characters. One of them is a widow called Naomi. And her husband dies and her two sons die, but both of them are already married. So she's got two daughters-in-law But the daughters-in-law are not from Israel, like Naomi is. They're from a foreign nation called Moab. And Moab is a nation that's always been, well, a long time been at war with Israel. So you have this Israelite woman and her two Moabite daughters-in-law. And they're in the land of Moab. They then come back to the land of Israel, where the daughter-in-law who stays in the family, called Ruth, second main character, meets a man called Boaz, third main character, and they fall in love in a slightly weird way that Steve Tibbet will have great joy in explaining to you next week. So that's, but they, and, then, and then they end up getting married and live happily ever after, and they end up actually, the, become the, she becomes the grandmother of King David and, and the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. So in some ways, it's an interesting love story on its own terms. But if you'd never heard it before, you might think, why on earth would I care about a love story? It's basically, we have them all the time. It's, okay, an agrarian, a sort of farming-based love story from 3,000 years back. But why would I care that that's true? Why is it in the Bible? Why does it matter? And we're going to try and have a look at that today. Because otherwise, we're not supposed to read the book of Ruth and at the end go, oh, isn't that nice? He meets her and goes, hi. And she meets him and goes, oh, hello. And then a few minutes later, they're married and having children. Why do I care? But actually, when we see the story for what it's trying to do in the wider biblical story, we'll see there's a lot more to it than that. I'd say Ruth is one of those stories where you're supposed to read it and see that there is something much bigger going on. A lot of stories like that, you read obvious example, the Narnia stories, and you read those and you think, wow, it's a story about a lion and a witch and a wardrobe and four kids you might be forgiven for just missing the point of the whole story because it's meant to be, it's a good story, but it's meant to be a story about the Christian gospel and Jesus conquering death and redeeming people and all that sort of thing. And we're supposed to know that. And if we miss the Christian story, we don't get as much out of the Narnia story. If you read Animal Farm, some of us had to read Animal Farm at school, and we just think, this is just a story about pigs in a farmyard going, oink, oink, oh, and some of them push the others around the end. But actually, we're supposed to read it, of course, as a story about communism. And when you read it that way, you think, oh, it's a bit more to it than just pigs pushing each other around in a farmyard. There's lots of examples of stories like that. You might have watched The Lion King, and halfway through, suddenly gone, this is Hamlet. And if you haven't, then probably right now you're going, is it Hamlet? You may have never had that. And so there's probably people going, I've never, but it's basically Hamlet with a happy ending. And sometimes you watch stories like this, or you read them, and you think, there's another level here. There's a different thing going on. And we're supposed to see the bigger level, and if we don't, we can actually completely misunderstand the little story. It would be like listening to or watching Beyonce's Lemonade and thinking that it's really all about how her grandmother taught her to make lemonade. 
And of course it isn't. It's a story meant to be all about how you make the best out of bitter ingredients as a black woman in America today. But if you simply read it or heard it or listened to it and thought, oh, this is just about making lemonade, you'd miss a lot of the point. And the same, I think, is true of Ruth. If we just see Ruth as boy meets girl, then we miss quite a lot of what's going on. And I think it's a story actually at three levels. I think it's like Russian dolls, right? So you've got the little one in, little one in the middle. Nice love story, boy meets girl, live happily ever after, have babies. And then that is embedded inside a much bigger story about Israel and how the promises God has given to the nation of Israel are going to come about. And that there's a doubt about how that's going to work and God's telling them this is how it's going to work. And that itself is also embedded in an even bigger story about how God wants to save the whole world through Jesus and what the Christian gospel is. And we're supposed to read it at all three levels and we're going to try and do that in 25 minutes. Which will be fun. So I'm glad, yes, you're glad you came, right? Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1. Now Naomi, this is the widow whose husband has died, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, so those are the three main characters, Naomi, Boaz, Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So gleaning is an ancient practice where the people in Israel are not allowed to pick up the leftovers that they drop when they're harvesting. So the poor can come along and take them. That's a good law. And we should have one like that in Britain. We don't, but we should. And that's what's happening here. Gleaning is picking up the leftovers for the poor. So she says, I want to go and do that. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't reproach her. And also put out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. At which point, anyone who knows anything about gleaning is thinking, this is not really gleaning. This is like stealing. Like, I'm not asking you to go around and pick up the husks. I'm saying, why don't you just leave her the bundles as well? Well, the ones you've already picked, she can take a few of those. Actually, you know what? Why don't you pull them out of the bundle and just give them to her? 
Boaz has taken a bit of a shine to Ruth. I think we can probably see that he likes her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she'd gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. At which point we all, in our not very agricultural South London environment, go, what is an ephah? But it means a lot of barley, more than you would expect from a day's gleaning. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she'd left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? I wonder if that was in quote marks. Where have you been gleaning? (laughs) Or have you just been pilfering stuff? And where have you worked? But she realizes somebody must have taken notice of you. Otherwise, you'd never have all that stuff. She says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So in an ancient practice, they're redeeming is where if you'd lost your husband, then some, a relative of his might be able to buy, the, if it, effectively marry you, and in doing so, redeem your land back so you can get incorporated to his family and keep your family inheritance. We don't do it that way now, but that's how they did it then. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they've finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Russian doll level one. It's a nice love story. Nice rich man comes up to poor woman from famine-stricken country and goes, Hi. And she goes, Hello. And that's, then they live happily ever after in the end. That's what happens. It's pretty simple at that level. But I think if we read it at just that level, we miss a lot of the point of the story. And the reason I say that, I think this would be like seeing lemonade as if it's about lemonade. I think the reason I say that is because it completely neglects one of the three main characters. So this story, in many ways, is as much or more about Naomi as it is about Ruth and Boaz. It's about how she is going to end up receiving the inheritance God has promised her And if you tell it just as boy meets girl, you think, what's the mother-in-law doing there? She's just getting in the way. Write her out of the story. But she's central to what's going on. And it would also, if you read it as just boy meets girl, you would miss the ethnic racial dimension to what's happening as well. Because you have an Israelite man and a Moabite woman, and those two are not supposed to mix, as we'll see in a moment. So I think if you were to read it just as a love story, you'd miss both of those elements. And that's why I think we need to read it a little bit more at level two and say this is a story about Israel and how Israel is going to inherit her promises and her destiny. And so Naomi is like Israel in this story. Naomi represents, if you like, the nation of Israel. I say that because of this. You read the book of Ruth and it starts with an Exodus story. So Naomi's in the land, she goes down to a foreign country because there's famine in her land, she goes into the foreign country to find food, she suffers in the foreign country, she returns to her own land, and and, and coming back into her homeland then seeks bread. That's what happens to Israel in the Exodus. Have you seen the prince of Egypt? In a nutshell, that's the story. Israel leaves their land because of famine in the time of Jacob and Joseph, go down into Egypt, find food, but then suffer, and then return to the land. The difference is... That in Israel's exodus, Israel comes back to the land and comes back full. A land flowing with milk and honey. And in this story, Naomi comes back to the land empty, bereft, bitter. No sons, no grandchildren. She's lost her husband. 
She's lost food. She needs drink. She needs a place to live, a place to stay. She is without. And she comes back and she says, I don't even want to be called Naomi anymore. I want to be called Mara because the Almighty has made me bitter. Which, as Hillary explained last week, is that's where that story ends. And chapter 1. So this is an Exodus story, but it's like an upside-down Exodus. Israel has gone and experienced suffering in a foreign land and has come back, and instead of being blessed, has come back empty. What on earth is going on there? And so when she returns, ironically, she comes back to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Like she's coming back to the place where she's supposed to find food, and she's empty and without anything. And no sons and no grandchildren. So this is a story about Naomi, a, a woman now who doesn't have children, going into a foreign land and coming back and saying, come on, where are the promises you've made to me, God? You've promised that if I was faithful to you, I would receive an inheritance. I would receive children. I'd have land. I've had abundance and blessing. And instead of all of those things, I've got nothing. It's all been lost. And in the same way, Israel is doing that in her big story as well. Israel... Level two has also gone down into into slavery, come back into the land. It was supposed to be great. And actually, Israel is now looking around and saying, this is chaos. Everything's falling apart. The period of the judges is just a shambles. We keep being invaded every few minutes, and people take away our stuff. That's the Midianites, and then it's the Philistines. And yes, God raises up judges, but they're scallywags anyway, and then they disappear, and we're all still in a mess. And at the end of that process, we're crying out to God, God, what are you doing? Where are your promises? You said you'd bless us and make us a blessing to the world. And instead, we've got nothing. So Naomi's story and Israel's story, well, Naomi sits inside Israel's story. This is basically the same things happening to both of them. And the question in both cases is, God, how are you going to keep your promises? You said, so come on, do it. That's what Naomi's asking, and that is what Israel is asking as well. And I think the first and last lines of this book tell us that that's what's happening. The book begins with the statement, in the period when the judges were judging, in other words, in this old era when everything was turbulent and it was a bit of a mess, and the very last word of the book is David, as in the king, the one who brought stability and peace and fruitfulness to the nation. So the book itself is like a little turning point in the whole story of the nation. We started with chaos and mess, and we've ended up with this beautiful leader who's brought stability and prosperity to the nation. And Ruth is at the centerpiece of how that happens, as we're going to see in a moment. So I think there's a, we should be reading this not just as boy meets girl, but as a story about Israel's history being acted out in this woman, this old widow, and her daughter-in-law and future son-in-law. And in the context of that story, the level two Israel story, the Ruth and Boaz story, takes on completely new meaning. Because Ruth is a foreigner, and she's not just any foreigner, she is a Moabite woman. Now, Moabites, we don't have kids in this meeting, so I think I can tell this story. Well, there's two pretty grim stories about about Israel and Moab. The first one is just to know that Moab is conceived in incest. Moab, the nation of Moab begins with Lot having sex with his daughter-in-law, no, having sex with his daughter, rather, and then producing this offspring. So they sort of didn't start off very well. But actually, as you go through, there's a rather more graphic story that illustrates that Moabite women are meant to be a bad thing in the Bible. And that is that when uh, Israel is just about to step over the Jordan into the land, Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho, all of that, just before that happens, Israel is waiting in the, in the, land, in the wilderness, on the other side of the Jordan, waiting to cross in. 
And they start, they hang out with the Moabite women. The Israelite men go with the Moabite women and they end up having sexual relations with them and begin to worship Moabite gods. And Moses goes for them. I can't believe this happened. Kind of Moses style. And the end of that, and in, during that story, while they are being rebuked by God for their sin, very brazenly, an Israelite man and a Moabite woman walk through the middle of the congregation, that, so all Israel can see them, and go into their tent and start having sex. And one of the Israelite zealots called Phineas is so angry, he picks up a spear, he walks into the tent while the Israelite man and the Moabite woman are having sex, and he drives the spear through both of them. It's a pretty grim story. But it's meant to say to the Israel for the rest of her history, Moabite women and Israelite men, uh-uh, is meant to make you go, every time you see a Moabite woman, woo, 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 watch out, watch out. These people will lead to fornication and idolatry. Now, I don't know, fortunately I can say this without any of you thinking, I've got a very nice Moabite friend. There haven't been any Moabites for a very long time, so it's quite nice in a way. Um, God's been very gracious, hasn't he, in just gradually removing nations from history that would be offended by reading the Old Testament. Um, I haven't been Moabites for a long time. But in, that, in other words, in that story and in other stories, you know, Moabites were the ones who refused Israel bread and water and safe passage when they were wandering in the desert. They're the ones who hired Balaam of donkey fame to speak against Israel. They're the ones that God says in Psalm 60, Moab is my washpot. Moab is the place where I clean my hands when they're dirty. I, in other words, Moab is an enemy of God's people, and they always are. And that, all of that is vital context for this story, because then when you see the, 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 glee, the um, reaper managers, when Boaz comes up and says, who's that lady? And they, instead of saying, oh, her name's Ruth, seems quite a nice lass, really, they say, she's a Moabite woman from the land of Moab. At which point you think, where else would a Moabite woman come from? But the point is, they say it twice, because they're trying to get you to get, this is a, woo, 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 this is one of those women. Do you see? It's a, you're supposed to, you're epitomizing a foreign, dangerous, idol-worshipping so-and-so. And as Hillary showed us last week, some of us probably know that that's where, how we feel. Well, yeah, I feel like an outsider like that. Ruth is, that she's meant to be like that. And that's why she is so shocked when she comes to Boaz and says, I'd really love to glean in your field. And he, he says to her, you can, and I want you to stay with me and stay with my reapers and you'll be safe. She looks astonished. And she, and she says this amazing word in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? Why is that, why is that possible? Ruth's reaction, when you see in the national context, is completely understandable. And yet Boaz blesses her anyway, and Boaz says to her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by Israel's God, under whose wings you have come to take shelter and refuge. Which is a beautiful blessing. Do you ever bless your children as you're praying for them at night? That's a good blessing to give somebody. May the Lord bless you and reward you because you have come to take shelter under the refuge of his wings. And Boaz says, in other words, you've come desperate to Israel's God and he's not going to let you down. There is a national dimension to this story. And then he welcomes her to his table and says, hey, sit with me. Hey, here's some bread. Dip it in the wine. Join in. Here's some husk. Here's, here's a bit more bread. You can now go away with an abundance, far more, in fact, than you'd even asked for. You will return back to your mother-in-law and show her, hey, look, this is a good day's work because you have been blessed with abundance. Ruth shouldn't even be allowed in Israel. 
She shouldn't be allowed to marry into the family, and she certainly shouldn't be the means of Naomi getting a daughter-in-law who will produce a grandson and a great-great-grandson and then a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson who is King Jesus. That's outrageous that Ruth should be in that story at all. But God has set it up that way, that Naomi's promise will be fulfilled, and her little exodus out of the land and back will be ended by including a Gentile into the family. That's how God wanted it. God wanted the promise to Israel to be fulfilled and her exodus ended by including Gentiles in the family. That's what God was doing. God was saying, this isn't just about Naomi. This is about the nation. You guys will be blessed when Gentiles come in. And that happens again and again in the scriptures. When Israel blesses the nations, Israel gets blessed. When Joseph offers grain to the world, his brothers get reconciled with him. When the fullness of Gentiles have come in, then, Paul says, all Israel gets saved. That's the way God set things up. So there is a second level to this story. It's not just a, a boy meets girl story. It's a story about the nation as well. But now, ha, check out Russian Doll 3. Russian Doll, I better go the right way up, otherwise it won't work. Russian Doll level 3. This, this is beautiful. Right? Naomi is Israel, and Ruth is the Gentiles which is all of us who are not Jewish ethnically. My guess is there are a handful of Jewish people in this church, and the vast majority of us are Gentiles. We are not Jews, and we come from England, or Trinidad, or India, or Ghana, or I met somebody earlier from Ethiopia, or Poland, maybe even Moab. But we are from all over, and we're all outsiders in the, plan of, in the purposes of God. Right? Israel is where God has chosen to make his dwelling place. He said, I'm not going to live in this mountain, on this temple, in this little box, the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to sanctify this little city, Jerusalem. I'm going to say glorious things of it, and I'm going to live in these people. And you guys, well, I don't even know who you are. If you're from Ethiopia, by the way, you are in the Bible. Ethiopia, they knew about Ethiopia. They did not know about England. England is, I mean, by being British, I am... I'm the people that Isaiah was talking about when he said, well, there's going to be people from this land and this land and this land and this land, all the ones we've heard of, and then there will be people from the distant coastlands and islands that we have no idea what's out there. Ear be dragons. That, in their world, that was Britain, right? So all of us who are British, we're going, how did I get here? Ruth represents you and me. Ruth represents those people who's like, oh, you are so far gone, no one would ever have thought you could get in. And so you'd imagine there might be some surprises in the kingdom where people are going, what are you doing here? I'm English. See, this is the problem is English people don't think about world history that way. So we think we are at the center of the world. England is here. The rest of the world is out there. That's not how the Bible does it. The Bible's like, no, no, no. Jerusalem's here. And England, if, if Jerusalem is the bullseye and the rest of Israel is the little red bit where you get 25 around the, that, the outer ring, it's like... Europe and, mid- and the Middle East and northern half of Africa, they're on the dartboard. Britain, I'm afraid, is not even on the dartboard. You're, the, you're on the wall when the guy was drunk and just <laughs> threw it like that. Just miles away. And the point is, Ruth plays the part of that person. The Moabites, the outer darkness people, the ones who miss the dartboard altogether. Ruth plays the part of you guys. And she, of course, like you and me is looking at the purposes of God and saying, wow, there's blessing over there. I want it. I can't have it. Because of where I've been born, because of the context I'm in, I am not entitled to the favor of God in my life at all. I am an outsider. And I want a home. I want a family. I want a people. I want food. I want drink and inclusion and a place at the table. And I can't have it. 
Meanwhile, Israel is saying, I want my exodus to be over. I want my purposes to come about. I want God's promises to me to be fulfilled. So Naomi and Israel are saying that, and we and Ruth are saying, let me in, let me in. And neither of them are possible unless there is a redeemer who will step into history and bring together the outsider and the insider so that we can come together. Boaz is Jesus. He's the guy who steps in and says, hi. And we're the ones who say, wow, who are you? And he's the one who says, of us, who's, who's that woman? Who's that guy? Who are they? And people say, that, that's, Moab, that's a Moabite. Don't let them in. And he says, hang on a second. Come here. Let me talk to you. I want you to stay with these people. I want you to find safety. If you hang out with these women, these men will not touch you. You will be safe and protected as long as you stay near me. And then we look to Jesus and we say, hang on a second. Don't you know where I've come from? I've come from England or Trinidad or India or Ghana or Poland or wherever, or even Moab. And I'm looking at him going, what are you doing? How could you notice me? We fall on our faces before him and say, why are you noticing me since I am a foreigner? And then he says to us, the Lord is going to repay you for what you've done. And a full reward will be given you by Israel's God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's what we do. Ruth... Ruth and us, we're the same. We come empty to the God who gives shelter. And we say, I haven't got anything. I come hungry and without anything. Please, will you help me? And he says, yes. And at the end of that day, of course, he's piled us up with so much grain. We don't know what to do with it. So let them have the heart. We say, oh, please, please, like that woman who went to Jesus. Can I just have the the crumbs that fall from the table? He said, no, no, no. There's no crumbs around here. You're not just gleaning the husks. Give them the sheep. In fact, give them an ephah of barley. So we go home with all, all this stuff. And we say, look how much abundance he gave me. And our family say what Naomi said. How the heck have you been gleaning that much? Where have you been? Who is this man who has blessed you? And we say, covered in abundance, the man I work with today is called Jesus. And she says to us, wow, blessed be he whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That man is our redeemer. And we join in and say, wow, what a privilege to be one of those who has been redeemed by the only man who can connect the outsider with the promises. We're going we're gonna to conclude in a moment, but we're going to conclude in a very special way by breaking bread and taking wine. And the reason we're going to do that is because of a verse that you might have missed smuggled into the midst of this story. When Boaz says, hey, come here, eat some bread, dip it in the wine. Now, I, I read this story with a little bit of imagination. And when you and I read the scriptures, we tend to do it. And Boaz said unto her, come and take some bread and dip it in the wine and... You know, there's always that voice that we do. I, I think Boaz has got a mouthful. You know, like, come here. You know, men do that in the Middle East like they do it here. You know, come here, just take a bit of bread. Stick it, stick it in the wine. Come on, join in the part. Join in the family. You are welcome at my table. And if I say you're welcome at my table, then all of the promises that belong to me because of my heritage now become valid and applicable to you. So come and eat at my table. And you know when Jesus wanted to say, this is how I want to show you how included and loved you are, he said, let's have a meal. He didn't just say, here's a truth, here's a doctrine, write it down, 
Here's even a song, as beautiful as those are. He said, here's a meal. I want you to see that you are welcome at my table. Here, take some bread and dip it in your wine, if you would, and join in the meal of those who know they're accepted and welcome at the table of God because he has made a way for them to be redeemed. And so we're going to conclude the meeting by breaking bread. It's such a beautiful, powerful enactment of that grace and mercy that has come to the outsiders and made us part of the table-sharing family, where we can say, because I'm here, I can know for sure I am welcome. I am ransomed. I am healed. I am restored. I am forgiven. I am included. I am found. I am redeemed. As I sit at this table and as I take this bread and take this juice, I know Jesus welcomes me. And that matters more than anything else in the world. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for this incredible message of redemption and hope for those of us who are outsiders. I thank you that you find little old me, little old us, little old Ruth, and you say, it's okay, I'm going to bless you because you've come to take shelter under the wings of Israel's God. And because we do, you include us at your table, you welcome us into your family, you give us your promises, and we are so thankful And we ask that as we now share in bread and wine, you would just knit our hearts together with you and with one another as those who have been accepted by the living God. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.